Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Um, heck, it's so cool to have you here at the start of this new series. I was so I was just a bit wrapped in that video because I'm singing these lyrics about the whole world coming alive and it's not time to be silent. And did you notice the juxtaposition of the footage that was behind the lyrics? And I think it perfectly shows the tension that we live in every single day. And um, it's, it's, we're humans, we live in a planet that um, strives for justice but doesn't always get it, that hopes for peace, doesn't always experience it. And as Jesus followers, we get this unique opportunity where we believe that there is an answer and there is a hope and there is, a, is, is light for a darkened world. And that light isn't seen with simply the absence of darkness. That light exists to impact darkness and to be right in the middle of the world. And if you are visiting Suncoast Church or maybe you've joined in the past few months, you've joined this year, we want to spend the next few weeks double downing and re-highlighting again why we exist as a local church, what our faith in Jesus does and how it affects how we live, how we outwork our faith. And we are convinced that to follow Jesus doesn't mean to retreat from the world and to create kind of little Christian hideouts to escape reality. We believe being followed to Jesus causes us to impact reality and to make the world better. And so we want to be a little bold and a little tenacious and say maybe the part that we get to play can actually change the world. And when I was younger, I remember I got so inspired by this idea. And if you recall when you finished school, I don't know what it was like for you, but a bunch of my friends and I would often talk about this idea of wanting to change the world. And it might have sounded a little naive to begin with, you know, this idea, really, you want to change the world. And I think that's kind of when you're starry-eyed or, you know, you kind of feel the whole world is your oyster. And as you grow a little and you live a little, you begin to study and travel, you realise, I guess, number one, how small we are compared to the size of the world and how Sometimes you can feel, and the effort you put in, really insignificant and that I'm truly making no big impact in the world. And then in my case, I quickly realised that I wasn't that smart. And here I was as younger thinking I could make an impact in the world. And I was like, actually, I'm not even clever enough to make a difference in my own life, let alone make a difference in the world. And so while the thinking, the, or the, the, you know, the, the application might have been a little skewed, I think the heart was right. And make no mistake about it, when you put your trust in Jesus, it ends up, you can't avoid it. There seems to be this little push, this nudge towards you lifting your gaze from just inwardly and you began to look, began to look outwardly. And you can fight it all you want. And the reason that is, because the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you begin to become like Jesus. And Jesus was always about reaching broken people in a hurting world. And so if you've come to Christianity, if you come to faith in Christ just to escape the world, there can be a time and a place for that where you recover and catch your breath. But you catch your breath in order to help others in turn catch their breath too. And so this is what we're looking through this series. So super glad you're with us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not sure where you stand on, I guess, faith and believing in God, this is a really cool series for you to be a part of because hopefully it's like the curtain will be drawn back and you see what really makes uh, Christianity tick over. So what I want to do to begin today or begin this series is I want to pose a question to you. It's not a trick question. And when, when I guess, you, we see some of the footage we just saw and we become acutely aware of the problems in the world and some of the tensions we have to navigate, a lot of them are new, a lot of them are old, they've, they've existed since mankind has existed. They're human problems. They're not necessarily political problems or religious problems. They're people problems. And as long as there's people around, 
there will be problems. And we can often wrestle with the idea when problems happen, why have they happened? Particularly if you consider yourself a good person and you go, why are bad things happening to me? Or why are bad things happening to us? We're good people or I'm a good person. And as much as that's an honest question to ask, I want to pose a different question to you to start this series. Not why do bad things happen? I want to ask you the question, what do you do when bad things happen? Because we all feel similar things when a negative event occurs or there's tension in our life and um, things don't go according to plan. We often feel the same and we can often think even the same and we can often ask the same questions. But I want to ask you, because this is where it really makes the difference. What do you do when bad things happen? And this can be applied in a general term. This can be super specific when something happens in your life. And when you look at what your natural response is to when something negative occurs, what do you do? When your team loses, if you consider that a bad thing, and every single one of my teams in every single sport over the past month have lost. And so what do I do? Um, actually, I don't know. But what do you do when, when, bad, when truly bad things happen? Are we quick to just point the finger? Are we quick to just blame? Are we quick to rage? Are you quick to turn to do whatever you do to numb the feelings? Because we're all feeling it. But the real question is not just why has bad things happened or how am I supposed to feel? Where the real difference is made is in our answer to this or our response to this. What do you do when bad things happen? And as much as that's a question to wrestle with individually, this is an honest question we need to wrestle with when it comes to problems that we all experience together. And as a, you know, a global community this year, we've all been experiencing a problem as much as it's manifested itself uniquely and personally. Um, you know, some people have made a lot of money this year from the problems of the world. Other people have lost all their money. Some people have grown their family this year, you know, COVID babies and everything. Um, other people have lost relationships because of the intense stress and pressure that has happened through this year. So, so as much as it's outworked itself, it outworks itself uniquely, it's something we're all walking through. And again, we're not the first generation in history, and you know this, you don't need me to tell you this, that has walked through something that large proportions of the global population have had to navigate together. But what history has shown us time and time again is that we have this unique propensity as people to do the same things over and over again when we respond to bad things. And we're so quick to blame, we're so quick to rage, we're so quick to fight, we're so quick to find a way to numb the feelings. And and in fact, and this is what this series is about, what made Christians throughout all of history leave the mark that Christ always intended them to leave was the uniqueness in which they responded to the bad things that were happening. Because it was in stark contrast to how the world would deal with things. And so, so I know we're dealing with, you know, a pandemic right now. Um, it's not the first one worlds have experienced, certainly not the first virus or plague or pestilence or famine that has gripped the world. And in fact, in, in the ancient world, it's remarkable when you read a whole lot of the ways that people rallied and innovated to, to, to overcome corporate, big, national or global problems. It was remarkable. But there's one way that stand, particularly in the first few centuries of, of uh, uh, since the turn of, you know, from, a, from BC to AD, There was a common way in which governments and leaders and people groups would respond to disasters that would happen. So this is from Tertullian, who is a, he's an ancient uh, historian, heaps of right. Can we go to the next slide? So this is something he wrote about what happens when bad things go on. So he goes, if the the type, this is 
this is written in about 180 AD. If the Tiber rises too high, now the Tiber is a river that flows through Rome. So he says if the Tiber River rises too high, and obviously at the point of him writing this, Rome was you know, the, the dominant empire on the planet, or the Nile flows too low. Now again, the Nile was in Egypt and flowed to that part of Africa. But so what would happen if the Tiber rose too high? Rome would be just, and many times in history, Rome would be just flooded. It would cause the whole flow and effects from Rome being flooded was just disastrous. Politically, the flow and effect was horrible because often the, the political elite and the leaders and the rich would flee the city. And then the leftovers in the city was just the human casualty was massive. But then the political deconstruction that would take place after that was disastrous. And then when the Nile flowed too low, because that was such a core place for grain for the Roman Empire, if there's too much drought, the grain shortages drought the empire would just cause starvation, could, could cause you know, violent upheavals when people were starving. So these were big problems, right, that would happen. So he says, if the Tiber rises too high or the Nile was too low, the remedy, again, this is written in the second century, the remedy is always, and here's what the remarks from history, it is always, next slide, is always feeding Christians to the lions. We laugh. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't funny then though, right? And the reason this was the case is in the Roman Empire, you could add gods all you wanted, right? A new God, he's this Christian God now, new God on the scene who apparently, you know, died and was resurrected. It was this kind of Palestinian cult or little sect over there that's now spreading. We don't mind. Add another God to our pantheon of gods. We don't mind. That's fine. The problem with Christians, though, it wasn't just added a God. It's that it was, they added a God to the exclusion of all else. They wouldn't bow to any other God. They wouldn't follow any other God. They wouldn't honour any other of the gods, any of the Roman gods, the Greek gods. And so if you were in authority at the time, the last thing you wanted to do was offend the gods. You know, the gods were similar to people. It's funny that they'd be angry, they'd get offended, they'd want they would payback, they'd want blood. And so, so you didn't want to offend the gods. And, and as well, if you offend the gods, the people would be upset. And so any political ruler would do whatever they could do to quell the wrath of the gods. And so the easiest thing to do to carry favour with people who were starving or flooded or disease-ridden is we need to stop the gods from being angry. And to please everyone, emperors usually turn to feeding Christians to the lions. Isn't that delightful? So this is how governments and the ancient people would often respond to when bad things happen. But what made Christians stand out? And this is the point of this whole series. What made Christians stand out, Jesus' followers stand out, is the unique way in which they responded to bad things happening. How they responded to the events in the world eventually is the very thing that changed the world. And prior to Jesus and the church growing and expanding, the way the world operated was very nasty. And the limited value placed on humans, on women, on children, on the poor, on the sick, the way society was clear, it was absolutely horrible. And it was Christians who reversed that curse. And how they responded to the negative events in the world, the way people saw how they responded, witnessed how they responded, were impacted how they responded, is what eventually changed the world. When a pandemic hit a region, it was the Christians who stayed and ministered to the sick. When a famine hit an area, it was the Christians who stayed and fed the poor and hungry. In fact, it was Eusebius, who was a famed historian from the third century. He wrote this, and this is remarkable. This is his observation. This is a couple of hundred years as Christianity was growing around the Roman Empire. Here's how he remarked about the reputation of Christians. 
So it's all day long, some of them, meaning Christians, they tended, this is, sorry, I should have given you background here. This was a, uh, a uh, plague that had hit one of the major Roman uh, regions in the empire. So it was one of the significant trading and economic ports. It says all day long, some of them, the Christians, they tended to the dying and to the burial of those who were dead. Countless numbers with no one to care for them. So there was no one, the, the state couldn't support them. Um, you know, none of the pagan religions encouraged their followers to support them. It was only the Christians, the Christian state to care for them. Now we look at that today and go, well, surely like, that doesn't make any sense because you don't have to be a Christian to care for people today. The idea of hospitals and medical care, that was birthed out of Jesus' followers, right? This is what began it. This is what spread around the world. Um, others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those who withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. So this isn't a unique thing that we're now like getting on board. Let's help people. Let's feed people. This is something that was the hallmark of Jesus' followers right from the beginning. And so it's their response to when bad things happened, when plagues hit, when pandemics hit, when famine struck, when natural disaster struck, when war broke out. It's how Christians uniquely responded to the events of the world is what eventually changed the world. Now, these negative events, they weren't just events that Christians had to respond to that everyone was experiencing. Christians themselves had their own negative events that they had to experience themselves. And where I want to begin today is in uh, the New Testament, in the book of Acts. This, uh, and if you're not familiar with Scripture, the book of Acts is a great book in the New Testament that pretty much gives the, the background, the beginning and birth and, and kind of the momentum building of how the church started following the resurrection of Jesus and began to spread around the Roman Empire. And so it began in Jerusalem, and that's kind of where they huddled, and that's where the epicenter of Christianity was from the beginning. But then the dynamics began to shift, so they should have. And the message began to spread out of Jerusalem. Here's where we pick up where we see one of the, I guess, events that took place that Christians had to respond to. And so we read from Acts chapter 11. It says, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. Again, Stephen was the first Christian martyr and he was killed not because he committed a crime, not because he's a bad guy. He committed the crime of being a Jesus follower. He was stoned to death. He's the first recorded Christian martyr. And so that happened in Jerusalem, Christians and scattered everywhere. So um, those who'd been scattered because of the persecution, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word but only among the Jews. Now, what's remarkable about this is it took persecution, and this is important to note, it took persecution, meaning the, the pressure, um, death, it, um, you know, all the powers that be sandwiched between the, you know, the, the Jewish temple and the Roman Empire to eventually get these Jesus followers to start spreading their message outside of their little bubble of Jerusalem around the world. It took the prod of pain, it took the prod of persecution for Jesus followers to begin spreading the message outside of Jerusalem. But what's remarkable is this, you'd think because of persecution, you'd think because of the pressure, the message would have been squashed and silenced. And in fact, if any serious historian looks at the rise of Christianity and they shake their heads because of all the opposition that was against them, there is no logical reason why the message of Jesus should have spread outside of Jerusalem. It should have been squashed. It should have been silenced. And we should not be here 2,000 years later talking about it in Mumbai. Right? There's, there's no historic precedence for it. It's remarkable. But needless to say, this is what we see from history, is that the harsher things were for the Christians, the more the message spread. The more pressure, the more persecution, the more problems for the Christians, the more the message spread. And 
this is remarkable because this shouldn't have been a surprise and it's unfortunate it took persecution for this to happen because Jesus from the very beginning, He didn't keep it a secret to His followers. He was like, listen, this message isn't just for you and it's not just for Jews and it's not just for locals who live in Israel. This message, this saving message of grace and hope found in Christ is for the whole world. In fact, right at the beginning of the book of Acts, when Jesus was resurrected, we read these very words from Jesus. So this is in Acts chapter 1. It says, this is him speaking to His disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we'll get to that several times in this series about the promise of the Holy Spirit for Jesus' followers. It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, that's the region, and Samaria, which was the next region. And he has this line, and to the ends of where? The earth. He just jumps right there. Not just the empire, but the ends of the earth. This message isn't just to be localised or regional. It's not just for one race or one class of people or one gender or one style or one political ideology. This is something for the whole world. Now, if I was there and if you were there, I'm hoping you and I would have just taken Jesus at His Word and going, cool, I'm looking forward to travelling. Let's go. The borders are open. Sounds great. But they didn't. They stayed put. And unfortunately, it took them being persecuted before they started spreading this message. I want to encourage you, don't wait until your life is turned on its head. Don't wait until you've got a gun to your head, proverbially, right? Don't wait until things are so bad before you start really going, hang on, this message needs to spread. Do it now, okay? Don't wait for things to get worse. So anyways, so this is Jesus. He goes, listen, this message is for, for the whole world. So eventually they, they scattered and that's what they should have done from the very beginning. And so the passage goes on. So they, they spread everywhere. Let's go to the next, the next verse here in Acts 11. So they spread everywhere. And uh, so some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, could remember, they just, even though they spread, they only started sharing this message with Jews. But some of them came from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they went to Antioch. Antioch was the third most significant city at this point in the Roman Empire. So you had, obviously, Rome, you had Alexandria, and you had Antioch. So a very significant city in the Roman Empire. Um, and if you look at it in the ancient kind of a, a map of the area, you can kind of see why with trading ports and how it all worked, it kind of made sense geographically. You got Rome, you got Antioch, sorry, you got Alexandria, and you would have had Antioch over here. So some of them, they went to Antioch, and they began... They began to speak, they began to share the message of Jesus with Greeks. So not just Jews, but now with Gentiles. And remember, who did Jesus say this message was for? To the ends of the earth, the whole world. So they started sharing this message with the Greeks, telling them about the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, we read this 2,000 years later and we kind of go, that makes sense. That's, that's not too radical. Like, that's why I'm here. Someone preached the message and then and he, I found myself in this building today. But you have to understand, this was like the first time this was ever happening. This message was new. This was radical. And again, what was unique about the Christian message, it wasn't just adding another God into the plethora of the Roman gods. This was like, here is the one true God. And the one true God proved it by clothing Himself in the human form. And instead of you, can you imagine what this would be like if you're an ancient person? You no longer have to do any sacrifices to appease the wrath of the gods. You no longer have to, you know, sacrifice your children to appease the wrath of the gods. You no longer have to give all these offerings to kind of bring this rain or to have a good harvest or crop or whatever it is. He goes, none of that, none of that, none of that. God 
has paid the price for all your sins. And God has paid the price for all your mistakes. And God has offered you peace with Himself through His Son, Jesus. So no wonder in the ancient world, this message was called good news. And it was called good because it was a message for everyone. It wasn't just a message for the rich. And it wasn't just a message for the poor. It was a message for the sick too and for the healthy. (laughs) It wasn't just a message for Roman citizens. It was also a message for Roman slaves. It was a message for barbarian, for Greek, and everyone in between. This was a message that was for the whole world. And it was radical and it was new and it changed the world. And far be it from us to still think 2,000 years later that the message that turned the ancient world on its head with all of its problems, with all of its pandemics, with all of its plagues and pestilence and pain, I'm still convinced that this same message can still have such a radical impact on the world in which we live today. And you and I get to be custodians of that message. Okay, so again, this shouldn't have been a surprise. So the Greeks are responding to it. These people who weren't Jews are responding to it going, this is amazing. They all became followers of Jesus and this message is spreading. Now, if you were a Jew there, you'd have been thinking, how are they all now following our Jewish God? Like this, this would have been doing their heads in. But if they were good Jews, they would have understood that this was God's plan since forming a Jewish people. God never hid His intentions. In fact, we read right back at the beginning, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, when God called out Abraham. Abraham is a father of the Jewish faith. Okay, so there were no Jews before Abraham. God plucked Abraham out of obscurity. He wasn't well known. He didn't have a big army. He wasn't an owner of lands. There was nothing unique about him. It's a picture of God's grace for all of our lives that God can shower upon you kindness and blessing. You do nothing to deserve it. That's a picture of Abraham. And so God calls out Abraham. And this is where the Jewish faith began. Obviously, then Christianity and he flowed from it. He says this to him. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now just think of that promise, okay? This is about several, a couple of thousand years before Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years after Jesus. Hands, show of hands, who even before today have heard the name Abraham before? Not a trick question. Okay, almost every single person in the building. So God wasn't lying. He said, I will make your name great. And here we are in Australia, talking about Abraham. Not bad, right? Okay, so it says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here it is. All peoples. How many people? All people. All people on earth will be blessed through you. All people. Meaning, I'm not just calling you out. I'm not just creating a new group of people, the Jewish people, I'm not just calling you separate to just be your own special people for your own special things and that's it. It's separate from the cause of everything else that's happening in the world. It is for all peoples on the world I'm blessing you. I'm calling you out. I'm drawing you out. I'm going to shower my blessing. I'm going, to sh- I'm going to do so much in you that all the nations of the world are going to stand up and take notice and go, who is the God of those people? We want to follow that God. And he said, the world needs to know I'm for them and the world needs to know I want to bless them. And so I'm going to bless you. So all nations will look at you and go, who is your God? We want that God. So God never hid His intentions from the beginning. This blessing was for all people. And it's still the same today. God has always called out people, not simply to be rescued from the world, but to be a light to the world. 
You have to understand this as a Jesus follower. And if you're someone who's wrestling with faith, who's curious about it, this is super important for us all to understand. We come to Christ, yes, to find a hope that is found nowhere else in the world. Yes, to find a peace and to find meaning and to find fulfillment that will not be found in stuff or money or any other human relationships or travel or a drug or entertainment. There's what you find in Christ is unlike anything else this world can conjure up and manipulate for you, right? No doubt about it. And God is a refuge and God is an oasis and we find refreshment in God. There's no doubt about it. We come to God and our life is turned around. But it's not simply to be rescued from the ills of the earth. Once you are rescued and once God changes you and turns your life around, your life is then set up to be a light, hello, to the world. So I don't think it's so radically ambitious for us to say when we look at why we exist as a local church and local churches all across this city and obviously all over the world, that we have it in us to genuinely change the world for the better. Community should be better because Christians are in it not worse. Your work environment should be a whole lot better because you're in it. Your neighbourhood should be better. Your family should be better. Things should be better because there is a Jesus follower present. And so I would encourage you as we now enter summer, summer, and man, what a unique summer this is going to be. I know we're all like biting our nails. Are the borders going to open? Are they not? Who's going to be like our new leader in Queensland, you know, come summer? You know, is cricket going to happen? I don't know. Like there's some big things we're wrestling with here, right? Like summer. But we, we do a whole lot of initiatives over this season, okay? Like, and we're going to hear about over these next few weeks. And if you're new to Suncoast, some of these would be new ideas too. But these are often the hallmarks of why people are part of Suncoast. We don't just be part of a service or attend a meeting. We're, we are a church. We don't just go to church. And we have a mission. It's not simply so we can walk around going, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. It's so that all peoples can be blessed through you, okay? So I want to give an invitation for you and yours. This summer, this summer, it's not just going to be the summer of George. It's not just going to insert your name there. Any Seinfeld references? Anyone? Great, Jono. Good one. So it's not just going to be for you. I want to invite you and I again to reaffirm our commitment and reaffirm our conviction that you and I have been called out to be a light to the world. So why don't we determine this summer that we're going to change the world? Because again, from the first, from the early on, the first Christians, it wasn't what happened to them that set them apart. It wasn't their opinions about what was going on in the world that set them apart. It's how they responded to what was happening in the world that set them apart. And so I would invite us, obviously, corporately, we're going to do a whole lot to try and bring hope and light and help and answers to the world. On your seat, you will have one of these uh, kind of, a little bit of paper. Please take this home, put it on your fridge. It just highlights a few of the things we're going to be talking about. Obviously, our Hope Hampers, which um, next week we're launching that. And then we're going to share as many stories as we can this year of just how much a difference you have made in local people's lives every single Christmas by giving people a Christmas who otherwise wouldn't have it. You're going to hear some amazing stories. We'll be talking about that more next week. Obviously, our Christmas production this year, we're calling it Hope is Here. And it is going to be radical. And I just say, I am super grateful that like 30 years ago, those of you who are part of this church and those who were a part of this church, 
gave and sacrificed to build this facility. Because come Christmas time, we're going to be the, pretty much the only facility on the Sunshine Coast that's going to be able to house the Christmas message. And we're going to be able to have close to 500 people here over five shows over Christmas where we're going to be bringing the message of hope to people. And it's going to be so super, super cool, which I'm really excited about. Um, and you'll notice there on the 8th of November, we have a guest here, Nick Ruff, who's from an organization called Open Doors, which works with, funnily enough, the persecuted Christians. It wasn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It happens today more than, more than ever in history. And we're going to be looking at how as a church, we can partner with churches who are Christians in areas where it costs you your life to be a Christian. And they are still committed to changing their world. So I figured while we're here on the Sunshine Coast talking about how we can't cross borders, they're talking about how they can't cross the street for fear of their life. And we're going to look at how we can support them and empower them and help churches all around the world. So there's going to be a stack we can do. And that's corporately. But beyond corporately, what about you individually? Because I don't want you to just outsource your responsibility as a Jesus follower to church activities that we organize on your behalf, you know, much as they're important and we can do far more together than we can do alone. But I want to encourage you, how can your life shine as light this summer and at all times. And so there's two things we're going to be talking about every week. They're super basic. They're super simple. And I hope it doesn't come across as though we're, you know, insulting your intelligence. But I've seen these two things at work since we've started the, uh, well, since, since March this year. And, I, and it's kind of tried to just spread it by word of mouth. But I want to invite us all to do this now together at the church. So the first one is this. And again, this is for you personally. This isn't like a church program. It's something you sign up for. This is you. And if we all do this together, I, I am betting that the amount of people who are going to be able to help and impact and bring hope to this summer will ex- ex- exponentially. exponentially grow. Thanks, guys. My words have run out. Okay, the first one is, please work, please work. Yes. Okay, is this. Pray in text. And it's a simple thought. Whenever someone comes to your mind, whether they're a member of your local church community or someone you work with or someone you know, I want you to pray for them right then and there, just on the spot. And then text them. Send them a message. Go, hey, thinking of you. You doing okay? Just want you to know you're awesome. Or I appreciate you. Some of you are going, Jono's been doing that to me. Sneaky. It's not sneaky. It's just something. And if you open your life to this idea you'll be surprised how often the Holy Spirit will nudge you saying, hey, you can bless someone if you're open to it. And sometimes anyone ever received a text in time or a phone call in time or a message in time or a meal in time where you just needed it and someone just lifted your head and someone just gave you a bit of hope, a bit of encouragement, you can do that too. And I'm telling you, if you open your life to this and you keep saying, God, I'm here. If there's someone you want to put on my heart to message, if there's someone you want to put on my heart to send over a meal or to just give a phone call or to go for a run with or to invite into my world, I'm open to it. And it doesn't have to be major. It doesn't have to be big. But every time God puts someone in your heart, just pray for them then and there and go, God, is there something you want me to pray for them? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe be like, oh, something's going on in their world. Maybe there's a verse in the Bible that I can send them and just text it to them. Just text it. I promise you this. No one will be angry that you did that. But there's every chance you could change the world for one person. So pray and text. You write notes. This is a hard one to remember, okay? <laughs> text and pray. Text and pray. You're going to hear in this every week. And the next one is this. Any guesses? Ready? I'm going to do a bit more radical right now. Invest and invite. 
Now, this one's fancy because two eyes and two syllables. I think, yes, okay. Um, again, not a radical thought, but hopefully it's memorable. Invest and invite. As Jesus followers, everything God does in us has a purpose to help be a blessing to someone else now. Whatever God has done in you, whatever God has given you, I want you to see your time, your resource, your care, your initiative, your presence, whatever it is, as an investment to people around you. Don't be someone that just leeches off others. Be someone who gives to the people around you. Intentionally invest into the people in your life that you know need hope. If there's people in your life that are struggling, if there's people in your life whose marriages are on the rocks, if there's people in your life who've lost their job, whatever it is, they are people that God has brought in your world for you to help invest into them, to be a friend, to be an encouragement, to be a source of, I don't know, a hug. You might go to jail for it, you know, hug. whatever it is, invest in them. And then, and this isn't like a, this isn't, this isn't like a, you know, it's the secret agenda behind it. It's the add-on. It's invest and when you've invested in someone, there's every chance you'll have an opportunity to invite them into your world. And by invite, I mean literally into your world. Have you closed off your social circles? Is your life done enough? I'm not going to love any more people. God's heart is for all people. And I want you to start inviting people into your circle. Heck, do something radical. Invite people to church with you. If you didn't know, if you're new to Suncoast, and maybe you're from a church background and you go, man, Suncoast does things a little different. Why don't they do this, this, and that in their Sunday services? The reason is we, create, we want to create Sunday environments for everyone. So people who are far from God or people who don't speak Bible and people who don't understand Christianese, they can walk in and not feel like, who are they talking to? And some of you are like that. Some of you might be watching online, watching that right now. We intentionally want to create a space where you can invite someone who's far from God or someone who's unchurched to church. Invite them to connect with you. Anyway, I don't have to labor on this point because we're going to be talking about it for the next few weeks. Pray and text, invest and invite. They don't seem remarkable, but depending on the person who they go to, it could just change their world. Sound good? I'm looking forward to this summer. Okay, let me finish today. I've got to finish this message off. Um, can we clap? It could be a good transition. Good one, John. I'm all in. That's great. I feel like I just needed a little, yeah. I feel like I just needed to let that out. Okay. So, okay, so here's how the story finishes. So great. They start spreading the message to Greeks and all these people start coming to Christ. It's amazing. The church starts growing. Antioch starts turning into like a Christian city. This is remarkable. And then here's what happens next. So during this time, so, you know, the message is spreading, Antioch's in revival. You know, during this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus, there's a good name for babies, stood up and through the Spirit, he predicted, notice this, he predicted. So he's like a prophetic word. Prophets, where were you last year in the old COVID-19 business? Hey, joking. Anyways, am I though? Um, he stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the whole entire Roman world. Right, so the guy gets up in church because I'm feeling from God, there's a famine coming and it's going to affect the whole Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. And so Luke was writing this. He was, the, he was documenting all the events in the book of Acts. And so by the time he was writing this, obviously the event had happened and Claudius was no longer emperor of Rome. His, um, his successor, who Goldstaff, who knows, took on after Claudius. Nero. Good job. We all know Nero, right? Anyway, so this severe kind of famine struck the world. Um, you know, everyone was impacted by it. 
And um, what's remarkable is some famines, or when they're often hit, they were kind of localized because famines could happen because there was like a siege going on or there was maybe a local disaster that took place. But this was a famine that ultimately was going to be widespread and actually did happen between, I think it was uh, 44 to 48 AD. This took place and affected the whole Roman Empire. Um, But here's the thing. The believers who are in Antioch, and again, this is where this situation was taking place. Antioch was a major city. Antioch had a lot of resource. Antioch was rich. Antioch had people from positions of power there. They were in a much better situation to weather the storms of the coming famine than people were in other regions. And so what happens next is remarkable. It's the first time in history ever, and this is provable that we've seen anything happen, like we see what happens next. So here the believers were in Antioch, a rich city, similar to be like kind of comparing us in Australia to maybe a developing country where we've got so much here. Yeah, we're experiencing trouble. Yeah, we're experiencing our problems. No doubt about it. But it'd be fair to say that we're faring a lot better than many nations on the planet. That's not a radical thing to say, right? That's just a thing. So here they are. The famine's about to hit. They're going, man, we have resource. Man, we're rich you know, compared to others. And what happens next is remarkable. Very next verse, it says, So the disciples, I love this, meaning the Jesus followers, as each one was able, how many of them? Each one was able, meaning it wasn't, it wasn't the same amount, but it was the same sacrifice, Okay. Depending, who was at, depending on where you were at, but everyone got in on this. Everyone got in on this. Front rollers, back rollers, onliners, waggers, everyone. As each one was able. They decided, I love this. This is how they responded to when bad things were happening. They decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gifts by the elders to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Okay, did you catch that? Again, This might not seem radical, but for them, this is the first time it's ever happened. Because notice this, they're like, hey, we're rich. We're going to, we're going to, this famine's going to be tough, but not as tough as the people in Judea. That is an outpost. That's desert. There's not much water there. There's not much resource there. It's the back end of the Roman Empire. Who can we help during this crisis? Now, notice the tone. They didn't quickly go to hoarding for themselves and God rescue us from this. And how are we going to be saved? Their attention went outwards. They said, who can we provide help for? And everyone got in on it. Those who could give little, those who could give much, but they all gave as they were able and they went to provide help for their brothers who are in need. Again, this is what I highlighted right at the start. How they responded to when a bad thing was happening in the events of the world is eventually what ended up changing the world. And guys, I'm telling you, I am convinced it is no different for you and I now. Let me tell you, the first followers of Jesus weren't known for their criticism of bad government policies. Whilst I'm sure they were critical of bad government policies, it's not what they were known for. They were known for how they responded differently. They weren't known for their sacrificing to the gods to appease their wrath through a plague. Though I'm sure they were praying to God to intervene. And they also were not known for their self-preservation and hoarding of resources although I'm sure they still live wisely. What they were known for were far more radical. They were known for their love. They were known for their generosity and giving. And they were known for their self-sacrificing service. And it turned the world around forever. The world became better because Jesus' followers followed the example that was set by Jesus Himself. And it turned the world 
on its head. And instead of just hoarding their resources, they looked, how can I share my resources? Instead of spreading panic, they spread hope. Instead of isolating in a bubble, they thought, how can we reach out to those who are alone? And when Christians respond differently, when bad things happen, it's a recipe to change the world for the better. Are you hearing what I'm trying to get across today? Very cool. Good one, Jono. And the point is this. They weren't invited to die for the world. Jesus has already done that. They were invited to just love the world. And by loving the world, the plan was it would cause people to take notice and then eventually look up to go, where is the source of your hope? You're not getting in government. None of our pagan and Roman gods talk about this. Where is the source of your hope? You're going through what I'm going through, but you're responding to it very, very differently. Listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't be critical and hold leaders to account in our government. I'm not saying that this is about us not being upset about the changes in our life. Of course we are. We feel all the feels. We're human. We're people. We exist. But more than that, we have an opportunity because of Jesus to respond differently to the bad things that are happening. And it's how you and I are responding. Is it causing our neighbours and our family and our friends to stop and take notice and then look up? Jesus put it this way. He said, let your light. And we sung a song about letting your light shine earlier. He said, let your light shine before men. In other words, love people, be generous, care, share. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, when people look at how you respond to what's going on in the world, does it cause them to stop and look up? Or are they just like, yeah, 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 you're responding the same way as me. Good. It's like, why are you responding differently? Because I have a hope. I found an answer and my life has changed. And I am hoping and praying, not just for us corporately as a community, wherever you're watching and listening from, but you individually, that you determine to live your life in such a way that when people look at how you respond, doesn't mean your life's perfect, quite the opposite. It means you just respond to things differently. That of course, people who know you to stop, take notice and look up and ask for the source of your hope. And I want to finish today with a prayer that comes from Scripture and I'm going to be kind of leaning into this over this whole series. And it's a prayer that I've been praying pretty much since the start of the shifts that we've all experienced this year. It's been a prayer I've been praying almost daily over your life and your family's life. And I think it could be something for all of us to pray together in our own life, for our family and for our neighbours. Now, if you notice, can we go to the slide just before? I know I didn't talk to you about this, but can we go to one just before this? I want you to notice who was there when this happened. Notice the last sentence. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by who? Barnabas and Saul. Saul, at this point, was a young man. A little while later, he had his name changed to Goldstaff, whoever guesses it, Paul. The church leader, the New Testament author. Paul witnessed this. And then later, decades later, again, under a different emperor, under Nero, who 
fed Christians to the lions, who burnt Christians at the stake. He wrote a prayer to the Christians who lived in the epicenter of this, who lived in Rome. And the prayer he prayed for them is the prayer I've been praying for you. And it's a prayer I think we could all be praying to help us be agents of hope, to help change the world. And here's what he prayed for them. This is in Romans 15, 13. He said, may the God of hope, I love that. God is a God of hope. You know it's God when you don't feel bad about the state of the world. You know it's God when you feel like the storm isn't the problem. You're the storm. You know, that's God, I think. He says, may the God of hope fill you, fill your life, fill your home, fill your thoughts, fill your whole world with all joy and peace. So he's not praying that things would change for them. He's saying that in the middle of everything going on, that God would fill your life, change your life with something internally. It'd fill your life with joy and peace as you trust Him. Notice this term here that links the two sentences. So that, so that. No, no, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Go back, go back, go back. Previous one. So that you may overflow, that your life may overflow. It would spill out to the world around you. Your life would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's Paul witnessing plagues and famines and pestilence and pandemic and pain in the world. His prayer wasn't that they would be rescued from the world. His prayer that that they would be filled with whatever they needed to be filled with so that they could be God's agents of hope to the world, that their life would overflow with hope. And that's been my prayer for you, that your life, yes, would be filled with everything God has to fill your life with, that yes, God would bless you like Abraham, so that all nations would be blessed through you. And I'm praying that your home and your marriage and your children and your thoughts and your emotions and your health would be so filled with God's joy and peace as you trust Him, so that you may, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You. Everything God does in us has a so that. Every time God blesses you, that the so that, so that you can be a blessing. Every time God encourages you, it's so that you can be an encouragement. Are you seeing this pattern? So that. And every time we love, every time we serve, every time we give, we create an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to change a life. Make no doubt about it. Our good works, our loving, our kindness opens the door for God to do what only God can do. That's why his prayer is, I pray that your life would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not your power, not my power, not because our good deeds are going to be all the answers. What our good deeds, good deeds open up a person's heart to be changed by the one who can change a heart and change a life. And that's the Holy Spirit. So my question to you today, as we finish, how can I, how can you leverage something God has done in me to love, serve and give to another? God, would you help us over this season to grab a hold of the same courage and faith and tenacity that the early Christians had. Help us to lean into the teaching of Jesus. Help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Use us, God, to be those who would shine a light in a darkened world, to bring hope to a hopeless world, to respond differently and to ultimately ultimately be people that would change the world. God, today as we finish, I'm just aware of every life here that maybe feels like they are empty, that they have nothing to pour out in the world right now, that they themselves need to be filled. And I pray today, right now, Holy Spirit, that you do that for every life. Those who are needing joy, they haven't laughed in a long time, they haven't slept in a long time, that they would be filled with your joy. Those that are needing peace, 
those who've been struggling with anxiety or pressure or anger, those who are at the end of their rope, may they be filled with your joy and peace as they trust you. God, we love you. We're so grateful that we get to be part of your great mission to help change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.